Hello and welcome to Good Questions, Real Answers. I'm Kimberly from Lion and Lamb Ministries and this is our director, Monty Judah. Hi, Monty. Good morning. We are so excited to be back with you this week. We have many, many questions, a plethora of different issues to talk about, so let's jump right in. All right. All right. Our first question comes from Sam, who has been watching your teaching, Messianic Teachings for Christians. He asked if you would please explain what Paul means in Romans 14, 14 through 21, it's about diets and faith, and he's not sure what all that means. Okay, well, let's look at Romans 14 real quickly. Paul, in particular, here is dealing with a cultural issue that's going on. And the, essentially, the cultural issue is real simply this. There are some people who ate meat, and then there are some people who didn't have meat in their diet. Mm -hmm. And as you know, the law teaches about eating the clean and the unclean, yes. and uh, so food is part of the commandments. And so people got caught up in this. And so he's trying to address really what's kind of a cultural thing. And so part of what he talks about here is, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions opinions. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. So you're basically, you have a meat eater versus a vegetarian. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. What has that got to do with faith? Nothing other than God has provided those. Those are foods. It's what we eat to be nourished, to have life and mm -hmm. health. And we're supposed to be thanking God for, you know, the nourishment that we get and things like that. I'm sure most people say grace Absolutely. at the table and mm -hmm. so forth. And he's saying, hey, you know, whatever the food is, why well, say grace and be thankful for it. Now, if you get down to verse 14, I know and am convinced in the Lord Yeshua that nothing is unclean in of itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now, he's referring to meat, but he's not talking about a new set of definitions from Leviticus 11 about kosher and non-kosher meat. Okay. He's, not, he's talking about people who would say, well, eating meat is unclean. Well, all meat is what they're saying. And by the way, God gets to specify what is clean and unclean. You and I don't get to do that. That's right. And so if somebody starts going around and announcing to you, oh, that's unclean, you can't eat that, and so forth, it's very inappropriate for them to do it. Can I give you a more modern version of this issue that yes, we have today? Please. We have, for example, certain people going around and they're saying, well, I don't want to eat GMO foods. Mm -hmm. I don't want to eat anything that isn't organic okay, and so forth. The same, it's a cultural issue, and right. there are certain people who are informed, and they say, well, I would prefer to eat organic. I think it's healthier. Mm -hmm. And so you can't go around announcing, well, the other is unclean. Right. And you can't go around passing judgment on people because they don't eat the same way that you eat. Right. And essentially, that's what this chapter is really trying to cover. It's really trying to explain, hey, guys, there's a lot more important things in this world other than arguing over which food are we going to eat. Yes, now, indeed. if God has said it's clean and it can be food, then it's food. Do so with thanksgiving, you know, to the yes. Lord and don't make a big deal out of this thing. And there's lots of issues in this world. This certainly is not one that should be a high priority. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for that. Rick has this question. Okay. He says, I'm trying to figure something out. I'm reading Jeremiah 31, 9, and it says, I'm a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. 
Ephraim is the second born of Joseph, who is also not the first born of Jacob, Israel. Although Jacob did cross hands when blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, which gave the firstborn blessing to Ephraim. So he's been studying all of this. It also seems to be a quote from Exodus 4.22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. But no mention of Ephraim here. Can you please explain that? Well, I think he's kind of answered his own question. <laughs> this latter part is God at any time can declare anyone in Israel to be his firstborn. Yes. And essentially what he's trying to say is by saying the statement, you know, Ephraim is my firstborn. He's saying Ephraim is part of my family and I will treat him as though he is firstborn. In other words, he definitely is part of my family. And that's really what the inference is there okay. is trying to show that, you know, God cares about Ephraim and considers Ephraim to be part of his family and his kingdom. Yeah. And that's essentially what he's doing. He's emphasizing that. You know, any father could take any number of his sons and he could emphasize his love for that son by saying to him, you're my favorite son. Mm -hmm. Now, we all know the father's going to love every son, but he could use that language sure. if he wanted to emphasize his love for that particular son. And it's not a contradiction. It's really just an expression on how to, to show his relationship. Okay. I just love how our viewers study the Word. I know. That, it's that, amazing. And can see those questions and, and draw those questions out. That's excellent observation yeah. skills on their part. Yes, indeed. Well, we have another question from South Africa. Okay. This one comes from Melanie. Why does someone who breaks the commandments and teaches others to do the same get into the kingdom, although being called the least, but someone who calls on God and in his name, performing miracles, etc., will be told that Yeshua never knew him and to go away and that they are breaking his law. She's asking for clarification about that. Well, we're into a zone where it is God who's the ultimate judge. And he's the one who judges every one of us, saint and sinner. We all get judged by the same God. Yes. And his judgments are righteous and just. Now, some of those expressions that you see there when he talked about, you know, or Matthew 7, I should say, when he talked about, ye depart from me, ye who are lawless. A lot of that language is God is giving us fair warning. You know, we're all saved by faith yes. and the work of the Messiah. There's no question about it. He's the judge. He will make the decision for eternal judgment or eternal reward. However, along the way, we are specifically given instructions and emphasis to obey the Lord and follow what the Lord says. Yes. And if I were to take the whole Torah lesson that he's given on this, and we know this very clearly, you know, we have been instructed, don't test the Lord. Amen to that. Uh, if you're in a position before the Lord and you, you proclaim the Lord, don't test the Lord by challenging and doing something contrary to what he has said. Just yes. don't go there. Right. And some of these exhortations that are given by the Lord are, are in that venue. It's, it's part of don't test the Lord, don't do that. So that's what I would say is, you know, that statement isn't a definitive judgment answer on any saint. It's a generalized statement to speak to all of us to make us all wise before the Lord. Just helping us to understand what he's expecting of us. Right. And by the way, I, I would say it real simple. If you're a believer and you teach others about the Lord, maybe the words don't obey the Lord should never come out of your mouth. Right. 
you understand there's a paradox there. Yes. And that's what he's talking about. He said, don't go there. Right. You know, don't do something like that. Yes, indeed. Well, all right then. There's the answer. And we have one about the Torah cycle. Okay. This is from Kale. And he has a question. He noticed that across many Messianic ministries, in the Messianic Torah cycle, you have the Torah reading for the week. There's a half Torah portion for the week. And then there's the Brit Hadashah or the New Testament portion. And he says, but he notices that sometimes that New Testament portion is different ministry to ministry to ministry. And he wonders, how are those selected? Well, the Torah teacher in particular, and I've done this myself, the Torah teacher in particular, he may want to draw a comparison, and for example, an association. Let's mm -hmm. say, for example, you have the Torah portion on Noah. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe that messianic teacher he may want to make reference to when Yeshua made reference to yeah. Noah, and he will give you that passage. Whereas maybe the, he might want to draw back to Peter when Peter made mention about the flood. Yeah, you know that they didn't, they don't remember the flood. Mm -hmm. So you, depending on who the teacher is, he may select different passages from the New Testament that cover that are associated with the topic that's in the Torah portion. Yes. And and because you have a multitude of teachers and there is no standard set teaching on the new covenant with regard to the cycle, each teacher has the freedom to set up his plan yes. for how he intends to go through the cycle. Yes, and I love that. I love how we have our Torah portion, our half Torah portion, and then we also then get to tie in how the New Testament or the Brit Hadashah pulls right into that. Right. It's and a, and a lot of Messianic teachers want to emphasize how the Messiah is teaching things consistent with the Torah. Yes. And that it's the same teaching. And so yes. he'll slant and grab those passages that I think that will support that teaching point. Absolutely. All right. Well, now we have a question from Christian and his wife, and they live in the Netherlands. Okay. And they have this question. He says he understands the principle of wearing the seat seats, those tassels that come from every corner. Mm -hmm. He says, and he wears them as a reminder of the commandments, but he has a struggle with two concepts that he'd like your help with. First, what do you believe that the meaning of Deuteronomy 6, 8 is? And then a personal question, I guess he wants to ask if you wear tefillin and he's not sure about what that black box is, but he wants to know the meaning of all of that. And, you know, is it a spiritual meaning? So he's, he's wondering about all those. Yeah, those two commandments, the one about tzitzit tassels and about phylacteries or tefillin, yeah. are personal things that you can, by custom and tradition, you can put on yourself, particularly when you want to do prayers. Tefillin actually means to pray for prayer. And an observant Jew will do his morning prayers and afternoon prayers, evening prayers, using his tefillin and with this talit that has his tassels mm -hmm. and so forth. First of all, let me just say, these are customs. When God gave the commandment, this is one of those things where he gave the objective, but he didn't necessarily give the standard. Mm -hmm. And now custom-wise and tradition-wise, the Jewish community has come up with the phylacteries, which is the box that's up on the forehead mm -hmm. and, and it's tied around the head. And then they bind your arm right. and come down and through your covenant finger and so forth. And they hold that for the tefillin and they have little boxes against your heart. And it all has to do with them binding themselves to the commandments of the Lord, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is a very interesting word picture because the word command, sav, 
mm -hmm. in the Hebrew means attaching parts. Oh, wow. And so when you obey the Lord, you become attached to the Lord. And so they actually do the actual picture mm -hmm. of you being bound to the commandments and yes. being bound to the Lord. So what's in the little box and so forth? Those are scriptures, mm -hmm. specific scriptures that talk about obeying the Lord. The one thing I really like is the when they take the cords and they bind, they bind around this finger, mm -hmm. which is your ring finger, that called the covenant finger. And so they, they remind themselves that they are bound by a covenant oh, with beautiful. God. So there's a lot of symbology, a lot of meaning in it. Same thing with the talit. The talit on the corners has the tzitzit. A lot of Jewish Orthodox men will wear a talit uh, katan, mm -hmm. which is an undergarment, like a t-shirt, mm -hmm. and the corners have the tzitzits for it. They'll let the tzitzits out, on, out of their clothes on the outward, but it's really an undergarment mm -hmm. that they're wearing. And the, the whole idea, again, the talit is full of lots of tradition and meanings. Mm -hmm. The stripes has to do with the mercy of God. It's a white garment. It means it's a holy garment. It has a crown on it, and it's usually used gold or silver thread, mm -hmm. indicating that, you know, the Messiah is the king, yes. and they're recognizing it. And in fact, one of the traditions is we say the Talit actually belongs to the Messiah, mm -hmm. and he's just letting us use it because we're covered by the Messiah, yes. which has tremendous spiritual meaning. Absolutely. Lots of symbology that's a part of it. And if those symbols... If you learn about them and they reflect your faith, that's what you want to show yes. about your faith, then you don those things and you do those things. Is it essential? No. The only commandment part is that you be attached to the commandments and that you have the sitsits. Mm -hmm. That's the commandment. You can do it in a whole variety of ways. A lot of Ephraimite brethren in the Messianic movement, they don't get a talit. They take the tzitzits and they hook them on their belt loops. I've seen that, yeah. You know, and they do that. Plus, a Messianic tradition, tzitzits, will have the blue cord in it. Yes. Whereas Orthodox, you won't see a blue cord in it. Right. And that's because of their restriction. They have to have a certain ink from a certain snail mm -hmm. to, to be the, the purple or blue ink for that. They're all traditions, they're customs. The one thing I would offer to this is always be wise about knowing what the commandment is versus what are customs and traditions. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with customs and traditions as long as it doesn't interfere with the commandment. Yes. So start with the commandment, and if you want to, and you're in a group, in a community that has this custom or this tradition, you can join in. It's not one more holy than the other. It's just custom and tradition. Yes. And I love that. I love the thought of being bound to the Lord and His commandments. Right. I just love well, that. Well, uh, let me add one more to this mm -hmm. since we're here on the subject. You know, I have a, a kippah yes. on. In the Yiddish, it's called a yarmulke, mm -hmm. which is from the Hebrew words yarmulke, which means fear of the king. So a yarmulke is, is showing I'm in reverence to the king of Israel. My head is covered before mm -hmm. him. I, I submit to the king of Israel. That's perfectly in alignment with my faith in Yeshua the Messiah. Yes. Kippah actually is from the word atonement. And atonement means I'm reconciled to God. God and I have reconciled our differences and we are together. So we're at one-ment, excuse yes. that expression, but that's really what it means. Yes. So it says, my atonement is of the Lord. 
and I've been reconciled to God. I, I don't have an issue with God. God doesn't have an issue with me. I have a clear testimony before. Yeah. So I wear that. Is it a commandment? No, it is a commandment to keep Yom Kippur. Yes. It is a commandment that you need to get atonement with the Messiah. Yes. But this is simply a symbol that says, yes, I have done that. That is part of my testimony. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you for those clarifications. Kelly is one of our followers, and she asked, who are the people that thought Yeshua came to abolish the Torah and the prophets, and what or who made them think that? Actually, this goes back into ancient Israel. Mm -hmm. This is one of the big differences, a lot of people don't know this, between Sadducees and Pharisees. Sadducees had focused in on the temple system. And the Sadducees believed that when the Messiah would come, he would be so overpowerful, so great, mm -hmm. that he would come in and he literally would become it. Yes. It, everything in the faith. He would be focused there at the temple. He would think the Sadducees are right about everything. You know, you got to understand this. Yes. And, and, and the Torah, which was heavily emphasized by the Pharisees, well, essentially the Torah would kind of, you know, fall back into second, third place, you know, in the faith. It'd be interesting, but it doesn't really apply anymore because we have the Messiah. Yes. Okay. And that's what the Sadducees used to think. The Pharisees, on the other hand, taught, no, when the Messiah comes, he will be the greatest Torah teacher. Yes. And he's not going to overemphasize this and that the Messiah will be the Messiah King of all of Israel and all of the communities everywhere around the world. And he will teach the Torah to the whole world. You know, so you see the emphasis on Sadducees said, well, we'll diminish the Torah because the Messiah comes. Whereas the Pharisees said, when the Messiah comes, he will make the Torah even greater. Yes. So when Yeshua said those words in Matthew 5, think not that I came to abolish the Torah and the prophets, he basically is taking aim directly at the Sadducees and saying, no, that's not correct. Right. That's essentially what he's saying. Yes. And he's actually restating what was the Pharisaic position. In fact, this is the reason why a lot of Jews who don't necessarily believe in the Messiah say that Yeshua of Nazareth was more of a Pharisee than he was a, a Sadducee because of that issue. Mm -hmm. However, that's not really the, the most significant issue. That's certainly not what the Messiah, he, in other words, that statement wasn't strictly about that controversy. Right. That statement that he was making was a very powerful statement about the Torah has presented certain things to us. The Messiah is coming to make them even greater and larger for us in the world and to, to expand that Israel was simply the down payment on the world because God intends to be the God of the whole world. Yes and, and amen. And, and <laughs> so that, that's really what he was saying. And he went on further. I love this part. He went on further, Yeshua, to say, if, unless your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees. You know, you think he's siding with them? Let me tell you what he thinks of scribes and the Pharisees. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. So he's talking about something even greater than even they were saying mm -hmm. that, that he came to teach and he came to be a part of. Yes, indeed. So, but that's where it originates from. That's where it comes from. And by the way, the Christian community, the Orthodox Christian Church throughout the days, they they liked what the Sadducees had to say about this. Really? So they jumped on it. Wow. 
Wow, wow, wow. And the Pharisees became modern Judaism. Mm -hmm. The Sadducees kind of died away, but the Christians decided to jump on this. And, oh, yeah, yeah, see, the Messiah's coming. He's way more important yes. than the Torah. Yes. We'll diminish the Torah, and we have the Messiah. That's where it originates from. That's the air that was back then. Yes. Mm. Intriguing, to say the least. Historical. But he always sets us right, doesn't he? Well, the, you know, that, that's the reason he gave us the Holy Spirit. Amen. Was to lead us into all truth. Amen to that. I mean, I'm thankful for that. Well, we have, in our last part of the show here, we're going to talk about the feasts. We've gotten several questions about the feasts, and we've got something I think that can help them. So we'll ask these questions and answers, okay. and then we'll talk about what we have that they can help. Okay. All right. Brian asks, for those who keep Sukkot every year at their home or their property, or their backyard, etc., where do you advise they go when they flee? As you know, many around the world do this and don't necessarily leave the city. In other words, I remember when I was in Jerusalem, you could see the Sukkot's built on the balconies of the apartments kind of thing. So he's saying if, if you don't go out to the, a wilderness camp to practice, what should you do? Well, first of all, all of the feasts are times for gathering with brethren. It's possible for you to stay on your property and you could do your own Sukkot and you could build your little sukkah, you know, out there and so forth. But you do understand that one of the titles of the feast is the feast of ingathering. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be in fellowship with other brethren, like-minded brethren that are doing the same thing. Now, if you can't specifically get together to do something, I understand the circumstances of what you're doing and so forth. But there's a day coming when you're going to need to gather with other brethren. Yes. So my recommendation to you is you better get to know some other brethren yes. that are like-minded and so forth. And you might want to work out the possibility that you can start doing it mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Maybe everybody comes to your place that you have out in the backyard or whatever, and you do it together. Learn how to do it together. Yes. But you got to remember this, when the day comes that we escape, you got to be leaving your primary residence. That's right. You've got to go to another place to assemble, and that's the whole idea behind Sukkot. That's the whole idea of escaping and yes. doing what the children of Israel did when they left Egypt. There are a number of Sukkots that are hosted around the country in multiple countries. Check those out. See about going and mm -hmm. joining in to another Sukkot with like-minded brethren. Yes. And learning about it and being a part of those communities. And so that's, that's my recommendation with regard to that question. Yes. And in fact, Lion and Lamb Ministries has a... We a, have a Feast of Tabernacles yes, that we, we host here in Oklahoma each year. Yes, we do. And it is a lot of fun. So check that out on our website. And we have people that come from all over the country and different and countries the world. of the world. Yes. All right, this is from Ron in California, again mm -hmm. about the feast, and he's wondering, do all males today in our modern times need to be circumcised to observe the Passover? The answer is you need to be have a minimum of the circumcision of the heart. Yes. Colossians 2, Paul talks about the, the circumcision of the heart, and once you became a believer in the Messiah, he says that you receive the circumcision without hands, yes. that that's the work of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You have turned your life around, turned your heart around toward the Lord, and you have removed the flesh. You do not let the flesh have its say or control over you. And the rite of physical circumcision, that was the picture, that was the illustration, mm -hmm. that you're turning away from the flesh, 
you're turning now to the things of the Lord yes. and identifying with his covenants and, and with what he's doing. In the land of Israel, if you're going to live in the land of Israel and you're going to eat the Passover there, I do say you do need to physically be circumcised because the standard there in the land is that you have to be. Yes. Now, elsewhere in the faith of the Messiah, you know, we have the latitude of that. And you see the same controversy being addressed when Timothy mm -hmm. was the disciple of Paul. There came a moment when Timothy wasn't circumcised, but then there came a time when Paul circumcised him. Why? Because Timothy went to the land of Israel to minister. Yes. And when he went there, he needed to be circumcised. If you're going to immigrate to Israel, you definitely need to consider doing this. Short of that, we're all waiting for the Messiah to come back, give us all our new bodies. Amen to that. And amen. <laughs> I got some news for you, folks. When you get your new body, if you're a male, you are going to get circumcised before the first Passover in the yeah. kingdom. You will get circumcised. So it's a very powerful symbol. It's a rite of the, the Abrahamic covenant for the land. It is connected with the land of Israel. And so for us that are in the nations right now, if you have a testimony of faith with the Messiah, you have the evidence of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, yes. you've received the circumcision without hands and you meet the requirement of what uh, the Torah teaches for Passover. Yes, and wonderful. I know that we've had lots of questions about that lately. I'm not, I guess because Passover is approaching and yes. people wanna make sure that they're following. They're doing things correctly. Correctly, yes. That's right. All right, well, we have one here from Wayne and this comes from West Wales in the United Kingdom. And he asked this question. He says, my wife and I are as Christians in the Anglican church for many decades have been following your teaching since the autumn of 2023. And we are now looking at following the Lord's feasts and the first time coming into this year. They're gonna follow all the feasts this year. Can you please provide some guidance as to how we are to follow the key feasts for example, what should we be doing? What should we be reciting? As you know, these are quite alien to us, he says, because they've not ever been taught that in the church. And really, they really want to get back to basics and be on the right track with regard to what God wants us to do. Okay, well, this is, this is not a strange or unusual point. We have a lot of brethren that are coming into the Messianic movement and exactly from the same position. They've yes. been involved in the church. Now they've heard about these commanded feasts, the appointed times of the yeah. Lord. They're learning about them, they wanna do them, but they're not quite sure what to do. So if you can get with other people who are keeping the feast, they can be extremely helpful yeah. for that. Short of that, we have actually produced some <laughs> programs and teachings here. Yes, we have. At Lion and Lamb. This one is called the Spring Feast. This covers Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, and I think it includes Shavuot, yes, Feast sir. of Weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the first four feasts are covered there. Yes. This is the fall feast. This, this is the fall ones, which includes trumpets, atonement, and Sukkot. Yes. I specifically did these teachings expressly to people who've not kept the feast before to completely introduce them, show you the commandments, talk about some of the customs, the traditions, how to do it, yes. how you can be a part of it, yes. and so forth, and to certainly encourage every person to begin to keep the feast of the Lord, keep the, the appointed times of the Lord. Yes. 
So we have those programs available. We do. There are many written articles about this subject, and there are many Messianic teachers who this is one of the major topics yes. uh, for a new Messianic for them to learn. After Sabbath, you start learning about the appointed times, and, and it's the most common thing that we observe throughout the course of the year as a Messianic believer. So yes. I certainly want to encourage them to follow through Amen. Uh, with their commitment to keep the feast. And those are resources that are available that might be able to help you, at least from Lion and Lamb. But there, let me just tell you, there's a, only I love your word, plethora of <laughs> folks out there that are doing teachings on this and yes. have written articles about it. Any sort of search on the internet, you'll find a, a bunch of materials. Yes, that will indeed. help answer some of the questions. Yes, and actually these two teachings, the Spring Feast and the Fall Feast, we only just produced these last year. So um, in 2023. They're up to date. Yes, they're very up to date. They're, and I will tell you, before we moved out here to join Lion and Lamb Ministries, we watched the Spring Feast and they were very helpful. I knew a little bit. My mom didn't know very much and my other family members were wanting to do this also. So it was very helpful, very instructive. And I think you'll find that too. So please go to MessianicMarketplace.com or .org. Either one will work and order your copy of the Spring Feast as they're coming up and even maybe the Fall Feast so you can start getting prepared as those approach later this year as well. All right, Monty, we are out of time. Okay. So will you lead us in prayer? Yes. And then we'll say so long for the week. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to answer questions that come from the brethren. And Lord, I pray that through your spirit that edification, understanding might be granted to our brethren so that they might be built up in their most holy faith. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua, our King and Savior. Amen. Amen. Don't forget to like, share, and comment below so that we know you're watching, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.